I said, what do you want me to speak on? And um, Ryan said, stewarding the presence. Man, that's smart. That's a smart request. Stewarding the presence. Because you have the presence. It's here. He's here. He's active. And it's going to get more intense. And you need to know how to steward it. Never, ever, ever take for granted the presence of God. Never. As soon as you start to take it for granted like it's a given, you start to neglect it and not care for it. It is like a newborn baby. It comes in the same way Jesus came into the world at Christmas. It comes out small and vulnerable and it needs to be fed and it needs to be cared for and it needs to be loved and it needs to be cherished. Never, ever take the presence of God for granted. It's too valuable. So he said, let's talk about stewarding the presence. Well, let's just start defining the presence, okay? What is it that we're stewarding? When we talk about experiencing the presence of God, whether we realize it or not, we're talking about most of the time, 90-some percent of the time, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. When we, see, we, what we need to understand is the executive arm of God, the, the hand of God that goes out and does things in the world, occasionally it's angels, occasionally, but most of the time it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the executive arm of government in the Trinity. He's the one that goes out and gets things done. If you're contacted by God, if you're touched by God, if you experience His love, if you experience His guidance, it's because the Holy Spirit's active in your life. Whether you recognize it's His hand or not, it's His hand. So when we're talking about stewarding the presence, we're talking about how we respond to the Holy Spirit. You with me? That's important. So we're going to do a little delve into the Holy Spirit to get the understanding, you see, because the presence, the presence of God... Sadly, and we need to fix this, sadly for most of us, the presence of God is a corporate experience. It's what we experience when we come to church. And it is, it's real, it's Him, He's here, He's doing stuff, He's active. And we experience Him, what I will call externally, in that we experience His coming upon, we experience His powerful presence, whether it's through increased peace, or increased joy, or increased healing, or whatever it is, we're experiencing him when we come together. It's an external phenomenon. It's something that's around us, and we're entering into it. Do you understand? Yeah. It's what I call the external work of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, most of us rely on that. We say, well, you know, if I need a dose of God, I'll go to church on Sunday morning, and I'll get a dose of God. And guess what? We do. But we end up living from Sunday to Sunday, and the middle is a desert. Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday gets pretty dry, doesn't it, sometimes? We can't live just on the external presence of God. We can't live just on the corporate experience of what happens when we come to church. Because not only is there an external experience of the Holy Spirit, there's an internal experience of the Holy Spirit. And that internal, frankly, to be honest with you, it's more important than the external experience. You can live on the internal experience, but you can't live on the external experience. And sadly, we become lazy, and we all do it. I'm not, I'm not dissing on you. It's human nature. If we can go someplace once a week and get a dose, we will. But it's not going to sustain you. When the hard times come, 
my friends, and the hard times are coming. Okay, this is going to be the greatest time for the church. It's going to be the worst time for the church. Dickens was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We're going to see the church rise up in power like she's never been seen before, except in the beginning. We're going to see some amazing things. But guess what? It's going to be really hard. It's going to cost. And the corporate experience alone is not going to get you through what's coming. You've got to have what's going on in the inside. So I'm going to talk about these two things, the external and the internal. Try to define them for you, get a grip on it, so we know what we're asking for when we ask, and we know what to be passionate about. So, the external work of the Holy Spirit, super easy. Acts 1.8, in the beginning of the church, there was Pentecost. There was the power. Acts 1.8, but you will, I love this, you see, it's not you might, not a hope, well, if you pine and whine enough, you'll get... No, you will receive what? Power. power. See, the external work of the Holy Spirit is essentially a work of power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the external. See, he's coming from outside. He's landing on you, and something powerful is happening. But he's coming, on, it's external, he's coming on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Listen, when this happened, when these words were spoken by Jesus before he went to heaven, the disciples had no problem understanding what he's talking about. They are students of the Old Testament. How did the Holy Spirit act in the Old Testament? He blew in, he blew up, and he blew out. <laughs> Some guys, Saul's minding his own business, being a jerk because it's who he is, and the spirit lands on him, bam, comes upon him, drops him to the ground. Before he knows it, he's rolling around, praising the Lord and prophesying with a bunch of prophets, and they're going, hum, I thought he came here to kill us. Look at this, he's one of us now. But it only lasts as long as the Spirit's on him. As soon as the Spirit gets up and leaves him, he goes back to the jerk he always was. It's a coming upon for a work of power. This is how it worked in the Old Testament. Apart from three instances in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit is described as interacting with people, other than three times, it's a coming upon, not a within. It's only three times it's a within, and it's in the context of doing artistic work, creating the Ark, uh, not the, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, and, and a few other things where he comes within to accomplish something, and it was quite creative and artistic. But other than those three references, it's all about coming upon in power. It's an event, not a process. Hello? And we're treating Christianity like an event on Sundays, not a process of what goes on the rest of the time. So the external work is the work of the power of coming on. They knew what he was talking about. Something needs to happen. Holy Spirit comes, who knows where, lands on somebody, power is released. Something only God can do, something only God can do happens through people. But it's something only God can do. Then he leaves until next time. He blows in, he blows up, he blows out. It's external because he's coming upon you from elsewhere. And it results in experience of God's power. Got it? We all get that. All right, now let's talk the change. This is the new covenant. This is the wonderful thing. This is what makes Christianity absolutely and utterly unique from all other world religions. 
There's an internal work that the Holy Spirit comes. What's really interesting in the New Testament, the language of the Holy Spirit and His activity, yes, there are a few references to Him coming upon, but most of them is He lives within. He is the indwelling Holy Spirit. He is internalized, and guess what? He doesn't blow in, blow up, and blow out. He comes and unpacks his suitcase, takes possession of the house, and begins a renovation process. It's home and garden television for Jesus. <laughs> he buys some wrecked up old trashed out home that nobody wants to buy. That's you, by the way. <laughs> some beat up old wreck that should have just been broken. Maybe it'll get bulldozed if you wait long enough. But Jesus comes along in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, Jesus says, I'll buy that house. He buys it at auction. Now he owns the house. Now he says, okay, Holy Spirit, let's go to work. We're moving in, and we're going to start changing one room after another. First room he changes, the kitchen. It's important. Then he moves on to the bathrooms. The last one he ever gets to in your life is the entertainment room. But he finally gets there, and he renovates the whole house, and it's fantastic. It's better than it was new, way better than new. It's, a, it's not a coming upon, it's an indwelling, it's a work that's new. It's not what he did in the, whole test, in the Old Testament. They didn't have him like that. He came and he went. Now he lives inside of you. It goes to the deepest part of your personality. It goes to the level of your identity. He touches you at the core of your identity. He gives a new capacity for a new kind of life that you never believed was possible, that only he can accomplish but he does it by changing your identity. And this is the heart of what it means to, quote, live in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit is understanding that your identity has been fundamentally altered from the moment he moved in. He changed your last name from the moment he moved in. Romans 8, 14 to 16, and you guys know this, but we need to hear it one more time. Frankly, we should hear it every day because we need to be reminded every day, you're a new creature, you're not who you were your last name's been changed. You have a new family. You have a new DNA working within you. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the hard workers of God, slaves of God, servants of God, friends of God. But first, before they're friends, they're children. They're the children of God. They're family. They've been adopted. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, servants, acquaintances, neighbors of God. No. You don't live in fear of failure. I've said this so many times, but it's worth saying again. The security of a servant depends on their success at being a servant. A servant can always fail at being a servant but a child can never fail at being a child. There's a security that's fundamental to the relationship of parent and child that never comes with a servant or an employee or an employee employer relationship. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, to childhood, to daughterhood, to sonhood, to childhood. And by him, who? Who? And by him. Who? Jesus. No. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit. Remember I said, it's his work. He's the one you encounter. He's the one that's doing these things. He's the one that's living within you. Yes, he's the spirit of Jesus, perfectly. He's the character, personality, agenda, thoughts, passions of Jesus. But it's the spirit that's living within you. The spirit himself. The spirit himself. You don't have to do this. It's not up to you. What's about to happen to you, what you're about to experience, you don't earn. You don't have to. You don't make it happen. You receive this. And what does he do? He testifies. That word testifies right there. This is what it means. To provide conclusive evidence of. To provide conclusive evidence that we are God's children. If you haven't had the experience of being touched by the Spirit of God in your identity to where you know you're His well-loved child, you need that. And you should pursue that with a single-minded, demanding, insistent call to God. And we can deal with that tonight. When I say demanding and insistent, I'm not being at all disrespectful of our Heavenly Father. You're going to find out it's how He wants you to be. He wants you to demand, insist upon, persevere in the desire to have the Holy Spirit touch you like that. And I'll prove that to you from Scripture tonight. Every gift we experience in our Christian life comes from this foundational change of identity. That's what it comes from. He's our Father now. And we are rightful, we have heirs. We are his heirs. We have a legal right to the blessings of God in our lives. And this is the heart of the matter. It is the quintessential definition of life in the Spirit is this change of identity and knowing that the Holy Spirit provides conclusive evidence in our own hearts at the core of our being and identity that we are his well-loved children. We really are. Experiential evidence that he is my father and he loves me. When I was a Christian, I came a Christian, I became a Christian out of desperation for meaning and purpose because my perfect life was perfectly empty. It was, it was a perfect life. I'd fulfilled all my dreams, really had, and there was nothing there that mattered. And I was desperate. And I was contemplating suicide, not because my life wasn't too good, because it was too good and empty. And I thought, if this is all there is, I'm not sure I want to keep living. And I stumbled into finding God out of desperation for a sense of purpose and meaning in my life. And he gave it to me, and I began working for him. I didn't understand my childhood, and I'd never experienced anything like that. But I knew this. I'm saved, and I've got a purpose. I'm going to work my butt off for the Lord. And I worked my butt off for the Lord, trying to do my prayers. Have you ever tried to do your prayers? It's horrible. It's just awful. I hated praying. I tried so hard. I did the missionaries. I did the continents. I did the subcontinents. I did, I did Australia. I did all of them. Worked through the alphabet, all the countries of the world. It was horrible. I tried praying for my friends. I didn't really like them anyway, so it's hard to generate any real love. <laughs> praying was just so tough, you know. It was just hard work. Another job. 
Prayer for me was another job to do for Jesus. Have you ever felt like your prayer is another job to do for Jesus? Maybe you're not like me, but I used to feel that way all the time. Exhausted and tired of being tired of trying to do my prayers. And I ran into a Catholic nun, Sister Nora, 62 years. I was, in my, I was about 30. She was about 62. I fell in love with her. It couldn't be helped. She had the presence of God. I mean, this woman walked in the presence of God. It freaked me out. When she started talking about Jesus, I said, man, when you're talking about Jesus, it's like you're on a first-name basis with him. She said, yeah, I am. I said, how do you do that? I said, seriously, how do you do that? Because I wasn't there. And she said, oh, you'd have to learn to pray. I started to laugh. I said, prayer. I said, I hate prayer. I can't do it. I tried. It's miserable. It's just, it's just it's awful. You know, I, just, I get bogged down in the missionaries and everything. I mean, it's just really bad. It, it doesn't work for me. She said, no, 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 not that kind of prayer. She said, no, there's another kind. I said, seriously? Really? What? She said, well, you have to learn how to be with God. I said, what? She said, no, there's a way you can learn to be with God. You can, you can learn to pray. You can learn to be in his presence. You can learn to be touched by, by him. You can, you can get to know him like, like he's a person. I said, seriously. I said, are you telling me? See, I was a lawyer at the time, so I was kind of rude. <laughs> lawyers, are not, lawyers are not good people, let's be honest. I said, are you, are you trying to tell me that there's something that I can do that when I finish doing it, I will know Jesus like you know Jesus? She said, yes. I said, oh, come on. She said, no, really. I said, what do I have to do? She said, well, you're going to come for an hour a week for a long time, and I'll coach you and help you to do this. I said, are you going to make me pray to Mary? <laughs> I did. I said, I, I said, you don't understand. I grew up a Protestant, and you guys are Catholics, and as far as we're concerned, you're going to hell. And I said, and our elementary school was across the street from your elementary school, and I had to take three different routes, back alleys, to get home for lunch without getting beat up by your people. It's true. It's true. So I said, are you going to make me pray to Mary? She said, I would never make you do anything you don't believe is right. No, you don't have to do that. So I said, all right, let's start. And we did. And... Uh, Three months into it, I'm doing my prayers in the morning. It was awful. I'd been out late the night before. I had a bad headache. Got up to do my prayers. I'm sitting in the back room, minding my own business, trying to pray, but my head aches, and I'm dog tired. I can't stand it. But I'm disciplined. I'm trying to do what she says I'm supposed to, learning how to be still. 30-year-old me, me, be still. Like, I'm shaking all, I can't be still to save my life, but I have to learn to be still. Be still and know that he is God, right? It's killing me. So I'm in my back room, I got my, I'm down on the floor, I got my back against the couch, trying to do my prayers, and I can't. It's awful. And I prayed to the Lord, I said, I can't stand this, I hate this. I can't stand this. I said, I just, I just wish I could crawl up into your lap and go to sleep, I'm so tired. And I'd made this cushion out of foam to watch TV with. It's about four feet by two feet by two feet. Big old bladed, you know, big old chubby pillow. And it was sitting on the other side of the room, just under the TV. And I said, I just, I just wish I could crawl into your lap and go to sleep. And this voice in my head said, do it. 
I said, what? The voice said, do it. I said, what? The voice said, the pillow. Pull it out. Go up and crawl into my lap. Go to sleep. And I thought, there's nobody around watching me. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But there's nobody here, so I'll just go do it. So I crawled across, and I curled up in the thing, and I went to sleep. I woke up 20 minutes later. And I'm not making this up, people. This was the moment. This was it. I can't express, except I woke up in the arms of God. I have never felt so loved as that experience. It was overwhelming. I mean, all I could do was just lie there, and the only word that kept coming out of my mouth was, Father, 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 Father. And it lasted for a long time. I was stoned. It was an altered state. It was the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know then it was the Holy Spirit. I had no theology to put on this. It was an experience. It just exploded on me. And man, it was all I could do for months when I went to pray was just say, Father, Father, Father. The spirit of adoption had touched my identity. And it changed who I was and how I relate to God. That's the inner work. So let's go back to the external. So now we got a little, I'm like a little 62-year-old nun. I'm running around trying to be Sister Nora. <laughs> it was sick. It was really stupid, you know. I became extra gentle. It was fake. I became extra patient. It was fake. I was just like, this new experience has changed me. And everybody said, you're a much nicer person now. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, God has wondrous ways, his miracles to perform. I have become less reptilian in the last three or four months. We're taking the lawyer out of Mark, whether he likes it or not. Now to the external. So it's going on in this contemplative prayer thing, and I'm, and I'm super happy. I mean, I, listen to me, people. I thought I had arrived. Complete. Job done. I am now a 62-year-old sweet little nun. I will none up for the rest of my life and be happy. I'm fulfilled, folks. This is what I wanted. I'm connected to him. He's my father. It couldn't get better. Except my mentor is doing his doctorate, Fuller Seminary. This is up, I'm up in Canada. He's down here, 1984. He phones me. He's doing his doctorate at Fuller Seminary, and he's John Wimber's teaching assistant in MC 510, Signs and Wonders and Church Growth, class at Fuller. And if you don't know about this, it was a ridiculous, risky, wonderful, crazy experiment. John Wimber had listened to return missionaries from all over the world telling their stories about people getting saved because demons got cast out, miraculous healings, uh, uh, prophetic words that are utterly accurate. I mean, it was like he was studying signs and wonders and how it relates to people getting saved. And he came up with this crazy theory. I know, it's nuts. Why doesn't it happen here? It's happening all over the world. I don't, these people telling us these stories are not making them up. They're solid Christian people. It's happening all over the world. Could it happen here? Ding, you know, ideal light. Could it happen here? So he got this nuts idea. I'll teach on it. We'll look at it in scripture. And then we'll invite all the students to invite sick people to come to class and we'll experiment with physical healing after the lecture. Come on. At a seminary? We're going to do stuff like that? 
you must be kidding. So they went out and they dragged in the sick. And my mentor, who's utterly, utterly intellectual, he's, he's never had a tear in his life. No, we called him God's Clint Eastwood. You know, fistful of dollars, a little cigar, like, did I fire, did I fire six prayers, punk, or only five? Well, do you feel lucky punk will do you? You know, he's like God's Clint Eastwood. And he's telling me these stories of what's happening in the classroom. Like, are you serious? I can't believe my mentor, intellectual, art, intervarsity Christian fellowship, you know, large brain on two legs, absolutely no emotions, no heart, is telling me these stories of what's happening in his classroom. And it's the book of Acts. And I'm going... If anybody else in the universe told me this, I would never believe them. But this guy, I believe. He says, you got to get down here. you got to get down here and see this. I said, I'm on my way. On his credibility alone, I'm on my way. And my then wife and I, 1984, come down to Pasadena. And he says, I'm going to take you to church on Sunday night. Okay. He says, you've never seen anything like this before. That's the truth. <laughs> so we go to this church. And it's a warehouse, ungodly. We don't, in Canada, we don't do church in warehouses. This is already getting strange. And it's 3,000 surfers in board shorts and flip-flops. This is disrespectful. This is not the way you come to church. Something's wrong with this picture. And they don't start the service. Like, there's nobody, hello, it's good to see you, this is great. The band just starts playing. And there's this big fat guy at a beautiful grand piano, and he starts playing, and then some other guys wander up, and the electric guitar starts playing, and then they wander up in the bass. And I'm a musician. I've been a musician since I was 12 years old. So I'm hypercritical like super critical about Christian music. Because back in the day, it was trash. Sorry, but it was. And I've got an older brother, nasty attitude about Christian music. These guys can play. Like, ooh, these guys are good. This is, this is quite good. And they start leading into worship. And it's 3,000 people, which I don't do. We don't do this. Canadians do not do stuff like this. We do stuff like this. This is what Canadians do. And they're singing along, and the music's like really, really good. And I find myself singing the lyrics, and something's happening inside that I don't understand. There's this growing excitement, like I want to scream and yell at the end of this song. I want to scream and yell at the end of this song. I want to go crazy at the end of this song. And I'm thinking, no, 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 this is a church. Don't, don't, whatever you do, don't do that. And I'm squashing down this thing happening inside. And at the end of the song, the whole room goes crazy. They're jumping up and down and they're shouting. And I go, it explodes. It's okay to do this. And I'm like, yes. And I'm having this amazing experience I've never had in worship before. And then it ends. And the fat guy gets up. And he's the pastor. The fat guy with the Hawaiian shirt at the, at the piano. He's, he's the leader. And he gives this message, this is it's okay, it's not very good, really, to be honest, in my opinion, my superior opinion. <laughs> and then he ends and he says, now we're going to have clinic. 
Really? Clinic? What is clinic? So I turn to my friend and I say, what's clinic? He goes, oh, you need to see this. You're gonna, this is interesting. You're, you're going to get something. This, this is interesting. Okay, clinic. Well, clinic is utter chaos. Okay? <laughs> clinic is everyone gets up and starts finding someone to pray for, and they all start like prophesying over one another. I didn't know what prophecy was. Prophecy is Old Testament. It's not for today. All those gifts died out. But now they're going to minister to one another. There's nobody controlling the ministry. No one's saying who's going to get prayed for next or organizing prayer teams. It's chaos. People are praying for people all over the room. What is going on here? And then, even worse, 16-year-old, board short, little surfer, boneheaded idiot decides to come over and give me a word from the Lord. Who exactly do you think you are? Little 16-year-old, board short, flip-flops, scraggly hair hasn't been washed in three weeks, idiot. But I'm polite. Canadians are terminally polite. They'll never, if they're mad at you, how nice to see you. you know, they're just polite. So I'm going to be polite. I thought, okay, fine. He's got what he thinks is a word from the Lord for me. And he's half my age, and he's an idiot. Look at him. And uh, I'll let him have his word in the Lord, and then we'll be done with it. Go ahead. I'm defended. Like, don't worry. He's not going to get to me because this won't be accurate. It'll just be something stupid. And then I get to go home. So I'm all ready to leave. Like, as soon as this is done, we're out of here. And the kid starts to tell me what I'm thinking and what's going on in my heart. And it's so accurate. I'm blown away. And my first reaction was anger. I got really mad. Not at him, at the Lord. This is what I said to the Lord. I said, I have been serving you faithfully for five years now, six, seven years. I said, I crawl across the desert to get a vial of water this big of your presence. And these fools are splashing in a fountain and spilling the water all over the sand. And they don't care. And they don't get it. They don't understand how valuable this is. It isn't fair that they get to do that, and I have to work hard for so little. And I got mad, and I went back to Ken's house, my mentor, and I said, tell me everything you know about physical healing right now. And I had a photographic memory in those days. And he said, well, my dissertation's on physical healing, and this is my dissertation, and we went through it, and I just memorized all the points. And I said, all right, thank you. And I went back to our church, and I was a one of the teaching elders on the roster, and it was my turn that Sunday, and I taught his dissertation on physical healing. I said, next Sunday, we're having a healing meeting. If you're sick, you come. If you want to learn how to pray for the sick and see miracles, you come. We'll teach you how to do it. Is that arrogant or what? No experience, nothing. We're just going to start doing this stuff next Sunday. And God bless them, a bunch of people came. And one of them... Her name was Laurel. She had a rare respiratory infection that her specialist said, it's going to take about six months of complete rest to get you through this. You've got to, you've got to get out of your job. I'll give you the letter. You can't work. You're going to stay home. You won't go back to work for at least six months. And she came, and I finished talking and teaching Ken's dissertation, parts of it. And I said, OK, who wants to be healed? And she said, I do. 
And it was real biblical. I just screwed and said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be healed. I didn't know what else to do. That's what you do. And uh, she didn't feel anything. There was no apparent reaction. But when she went to see her doctor on Tuesday, she was sitting in the waiting room, and he walked through the waiting room on his way to another examination room, and he looked at her and he said, what's happened to you? You look like sunshine. She said, I've been healed. The symptoms are all gone. And, he, and he, she, she told him the story. He's like, mm, well. He said, well, look. He said, uh, let's do this. He said, if the symptoms return, you quit work. I'll let you go back to work now. But if any of these symptoms come back, immediately you quit work and we're back on the program, the regimen. And she said, fine. And she never went back to work and never had another symptom. And that was the beginning of a wave of healing and a wave of the Spirit's presence in our church that did absolutely, the church just grew and doubled in size and we planted a church and off it went. And we, read, we rode the wave of the Holy Spirit that was that move of God. Saw so many people healed, saw so many people's lives transformed. We saw a lot of people die too, I'm not gonna pretend. We had, we had failures that broke my heart. My best friend's baby died. And uh, that just about made me quit. But I went to see Ken on the West Coast, and I poured out my heart. He's the most heart heartless person, least compassionate of anyone you've ever met. We're driving down the car. I'm pouring out my heart about how this baby died. I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I mean, I don't understand. What am I going to do? And he turns to me. He's driving. He turns to me. He says, well, you could just quit. I said, what? He said, well, you just quit, quit praying for the sick. Just give up. Walk away from it. I thought, I was so mad at him, I said, in my heart, I said, you heartless blank, blank, blank. I fly out here at my expense to see you to get counsel and encouragement, and you tell me maybe I should just quit. And then I got mad, and I said, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. Do you want me to quit? I'm not, quit. I'm not quitting this. And I decided, I'm not quitting. I don't care. I'm not quitting. I'm going ahead with this. I'm going to pray for more sick people. I'm not stopping doing what I know is right because I had a failure in my life. There was the best counsel he could have given me. Yeah, sure, you can quit, you little worm. Loser. Not quitting. See, look. We need the external. We need the power. We need to move in the gifts. Because we're world changers. We're life changers. We're influencers. We're transforming people. We're, we, we help others to be changed. We need the external power of God. We need the internal change of identity. We need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We need the friendship with God. We need everything the Holy Spirit does. We need the external and we need the internal and we need them balanced. Because only in balance between these two will it be okay. And you've got to understand, the church is... The church the Western church is divided. Half the Western church says it's the internal work that really matters. And the other half says, nope, it's all about the power. And they turn us against each other, even internally, because you have to choose. You're either this kind of Christian, where you're focused on character, that's the internal work, or you're this kind of Christian, where you're focused on power, and you're this kind of Christian. 
And they want us to be divided on this issue. The Holy Spirit's not divided. He's not two Holy Spirits cut in half, each doing a different job. He does one thing with two results. And we need both. And we should crave, I'm going to talk about this tonight, how we, how we our part in receiving, our part in seeing this happen in our church, in our heart, in our life, in our relationships. And I'm, going to, I'm not going to spoil that because it's really radical. It's really interesting. But we must crave, eagerly desire, follow the way of what? Follow the way of God, people, love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Isn't that interesting? Follow the way of love, number one. See, power follows love. Love doesn't follow power. If you ever put power first, you'll end up powerful and unloving and usually deceived. You get off on the wrong thing under a wrong spirit. Love does not follow power. Power follows love. That's why Paul said, eagerly desire the way of love. That's a lifestyle. That's the way. And and desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And we talk about that tonight, why it's the entry-level gift in many ways, and why it's so useful. But that's not the point. The point is we need both. And when you look at the word eagerly desire, and we're going to look at this tonight in great detail, what you're talking about is a passionate craving. A passionate craving. Follow the way of love, and if you feel like it, and if it's convenient, and if it doesn't upset your reputation or embarrass you in any way, and you're going to a church that makes it easy for you, then you might consider looking into some spiritual gifts, but you really don't have to because it's not that important. <laughs> Follow the way of love and crave. Guys, when we get to the meaning of these words, and we, we get into the Greek, and we get into all of that, it's pretty shocking. He's not talking about being cavalier here. He's talking about a radical, passionate commitment to get a hold of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Crave. Follow the way of love and crave to lead a powerful life that transforms people. And finally, as you're craving, you've got to do something. You've got to take some risks. You see, when I ran into a Catholic nun that knew Jesus like I didn't, I pushed it and got a hold of something to do that made the difference. And when my mentor phoned me from Pasadena and said, something's happening in the classroom, you have to see it. I don't care what it costs or how inconvenient or whatever. I want to see this and I want to be a part of it. And when I was touched with that prophetic word by that loser, I got hungry and said to Ken, you give me your dissertation right now. And I took it back and I did it the next Sunday. That was the stupidest thing. I don't recommend that for anybody. No, you need to learn how to preach before you try something like that. Oh, no, you need to have some experience before you try. No, just go try something like that. Just go out and do it. You got to take a risk. If you don't take a risk, you will see nothing. If you take a risk, you will see a combination of successes and failures. And every failure is not a failure because it turned into a lesson. And you learn something. And every success takes, it motivates you to keep on trying. Yep. 
and you grow and you learn, but risk is utterly and completely essential to a life in the Spirit if you want to see the external work of God through your life. Make sense? Okay, I want to pray for you. Um, two ways, internal, external. All those people that were, Spirit touched you. He woke in a desire and a hunger when we were talking about the internal. And you recognized, I don't know him like that. Or the last time I knew him like that was like a long time ago. And you know, no, I want that. I, that's the thing. I, that's what I got to focus on right now. That identity. That father-child relationship. That's the one that he touched your heart and stirred your heart for. Everybody close your eyes. Please, just let's make this as easy as possible. Let's close our eyes here. If that's you... If that's the hunger of your heart, that's the need of your heart, would you just put your hand up, please? Just put your hand up if that's you. Okay, keep your hand up for a minute. Now open it like you're going to receive something. Just take like I'm going to receive something. This is how I would be to receive something. All right? Holy Spirit. This is easy to ask for because you love to do it. Witness. Provide conclusive evidence to these people who are hungry for you, who are craving you, who know their need of you, who want to know you as Father and need to know you as Father, please, right now, Holy Spirit, speak to them. Just tell them something in their mind. Just drop your thought into their mind right now. Holy Spirit, how do you feel about them? Holy Spirit, what are you going to do for them? Just tell them. They need to hear it, Lord. They need to hear it. Speak the word, Lord. Speak the word, Holy Spirit. Tell them what they need to hear. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for them? Now, if you're hearing something, wave your hand. If you're hearing something from God, just give a little, okay, oh, that's good. Thank you, Lord. Listen, he just spoke to you. You got to take that as real. You didn't make it up. He initiated this conversation. He's telling you something. You got to take it to the bank. You say, thank you, Lord, I need that. Now, secondly, Holy Spirit, I ask you to give a down payment. I ask you to give a little deposit, just a little, just a little fluttering deposit. Not, you don't have to knock them out and, and overwhelm them right now. You can do that if you want, but probably you don't. But just, would you just please touch them with just a moment of that love of the Father's heart for them? Would you just reach out and just touch them, Lord? Just a little deposit. A little in earnest here. A little in earnest, like, yeah, there's more coming, and here's what it tastes like. This is the sample at Costco. This is the sample, but there's a whole bunch more that's on its way. I'm going to give you all of it, but this is the beginning. This is that first sense. Yes, this is what it's going to be like. Drop it on them now, Lord. Into their hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, all those that the Holy Spirit touched your heart on this whole business of power, 
I want to go out there. I want to see people healed. I want to see people become Christians. I want to see people's lives turn around. I want the depression to lift off of them. I want their marriages to work. I want prophetic words that are accurate that will really help people. Whatever it was, you had a stirring in your heart. You want to see more of that in your life through you. Put your hand up. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, look, you're going to get it. It's coming. Here it comes. Holy Spirit. You have a vested interest here, Lord. You have a vested interest in reaching people with your love and your power. You have a vested interest in, in your glory being revealed through healings, transformed lives. Lord, drop it on them. Stir them up right now. Increase your power. Increase your presence within them, Lord. Let it come. Spirit of power. Spirit of healing. Spirit of prophecy. Spirit of wisdom. All of these gifts, Lord, prophetic gifts, gifts of deliverance. Drop more power on them. Drop more power on this church, Lord. Let this become a place that's known as, if you've got a real problem, this is where you go. If you've got a problem beyond what you're able to do, you need to go over there. Man, something's happening over there. There's a power there that's really unusual. You gotta check this out. Drop it on them, Lord. Now listen, here's the key. That the God's part is He drops it on you. He deposits it. He stirs it up inside of you. But yours is to take risks. None of these things will happen if you're not willing to go and do something. And right now, it's going to start... In, for some of you in radical ways, you're just going to go out and do it because you're, you're adventurous. That's your nature. But for others, you're more, you're more timid. You're more careful. You're more experimental. But listen, it's as simple as this. From this moment on, the Holy Spirit is going to, at church, when you come here into this room, He's going to give you thoughts for somebody else. He's going to give you someone to walk across the room and put your hands on and say, may I pray for you? And most of them will say yes. And you're going to pray some stumbling, you know, not very good prayer. And God's going to do something amazing. And you're going to grow and learn because you're taking risks to do it. But you have to be willing to obey that little nudge when he says go over and pray for that guy who's a total stranger or maybe your best friend. Doesn't matter. When he says go over and pray for that person, you've got to say yes. Just say yes and go do it. And don't worry if it works or not. It's not your problem if it works or not. It's God's problem if it works or not. Works or not. You're, you're UPS drivers. That's all you are. You don't choose the gift. You don't wrap the gift. You don't address the gift. You don't pay for the gift. It's not your gift. You just drive the stupid truck. So get in your truck and drive the gift across the, across the street or across the church and say, here, I, are, you, are you Bob Smith? Yes. Okay, I have something here for you. I don't know what it is. I didn't buy it. I didn't pay for it. Don't thank me for it. Please. I just drive the truck. And you give it to them. And you pray for them. You lay hands on them. You do what the Lord gave you to do. And you make it a practice to do that all the time. Who cares what the result is? That's not your problem. Your problem is to take the risk and just go and do it. So just go and do it. Are you in for that? Will you please? If you're in for that, just say yes. Don't say yes to me. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, I will take the risk. Yes, I will go and obey. And yes, I'm not going to worry about the results because it's not my problem. I'm just there to pray. Yes. Just say yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you so much. We love you so much, Lord. You're wonderful. You're amazing. Everything about you is intriguing and fascinating. And actually, Lord, you're a lot of fun. 
You really are. It's, it being, doing stuff like this with you is just, there's nothing in the world that touches it. There's nothing like that. You're so kind to let us do it. You're so kind to let me do it. We don't deserve it. You're amazing. Everything about you is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. So come tonight, and we're going to go deep into what it means to crave and how we stir that up, how that operates in our lives, how we get more. And I'm going to, I had a revelation in the last three months uh, of how to pray. I'm praying in a new way that I've never experienced before. I want to share it with you because it's totally biblical. I don't know why I didn't get it a lot earlier, but I got it. I figured it out. It's awesome. So um, come, and we're going to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm.